Good, good afternoon, Mamlaka. I just turn to the person seated next to you and give them a high five. Tell them Davy says hi. Well, it is a sunny afternoon and we continue with our series, This is Our God. I hope that you are learning a lot. I hope that God is nudging you to love him more and to grasp his knowledge and not only that, but just also to go ahead and, and obey him. And just to start us off, um, there's a guy called John Calvin, and this is what he says, He's, and he argues that the finite cannot grasp the infinite. He basically says, we as human beings, left to ourselves, we cannot understand God. And for illustration purposes, this whole topic, if you are left to ourselves to understand it, is like teaching a two-year-old astronomy and astrophysics. Yeah? Allowing that kid just to sit in that class and telling them integrate and differentiate and do all those things. It's likely that if you use those terms to a two-year-old, they might not do what? They might not understand. And therefore, what do parents do? When parents want to teach their kids who are that age, two years old, they usually go down to their language. So if you want to tell the child that the cup is hot, you don't tell them that the cup is actually hot to a degree of 35 degrees Celsius or 45. You tell them, tata, right? You, you do those manner of things that if you are to do them to an adult... Adults will actually feel like tunabebana, tumezoyana. I can actually get what you're saying. And therefore, we turn to the scriptures to understand God because of one single factor. God has come to our level. If God were to speak to us in his own terms, it would be wala wala wee. We wouldn't really get it. God comes to our level, just as a father comes down to the level of a child and speaks to us in our language, so that we would not miss the point. And therefore, in the past two uh, installments, we have used different ways to describe our God. Uh, Reverend Lowe managed to tell us that God is omnipotent and he is omniscient. By using those two words, we mean that he is the ultimate degree of power and ultimate degree of wisdom, right? Another way that we get to define God is by affirming, saying specific things that are true of God. Like if you say that God is good, We'll say that God is good as we continue with this series. We'll say that he is just. We will say that he is merciful and kind. But today I want us to use the third way of looking at this whole subject, which is us looking at what God is not. And today we'll be looking at two attributes, which is firstly, the independence of God, that God is not dependent on anything. And the second one is the immutability of God, which basic, basically, guys, not basically, basically says that God does not change. And let's just go ahead and start um, this on the independence of God. How do we define it? This is how we define it. That God does not need anything in order to exist. That he does not need us or the rest of creation. Yet he has determined that we can glorify him. I can repeat, God does not need anything in order to exist. He does not need us or the rest of creation. Yet he has determined that we can glorify him. The striking difference between God and other beings is this. That creatures are derived, creatures are conditional, creatures are dependent. And yet God is not derived, he is not conditional, and he is quite independent in his own, not even quite, he is independent in his own being. Before you ask yourself, and before you call yourself an independent person, I know some of us probably consider ourselves independent person. Let me just bust that bubble immediately 
and remind you that only God is independent. I don't know whether you have thought about this. If God were to press control, shift, delete, and remove just two things, yeah? Control, shift, delete. Remove only two things. Remove air, that is oxygen and all these things, and remove water. What happens to life? We die. We vanish, right? And probably that is on a global scale, but let's come to our level again. This past week, Kenya Power has done that thing, reminding us that ni haundio wa? Your Wi-Fi goes off and you are frantically confused about what to do with your life. We are so dependent to the proportions that we fail to imagine, but God is not in our league. He does not depend on anything. This definitely starts in Genesis 1, where it says, in the beginning, God. That simple statement points us to acknowledging this unquestionable reality that God is self-existent. He does not need anything to be God. He does not derive his life from anything. He is God and he is absolutely independent. He is absolutely self-sufficient. He is absolutely self-satisfied. For a moment, if you are to think away God, man has no ground for existence. And therefore today my hope is that as we go through these attributes, we look at different portions of scripture and hopefully arrive at what God has said about himself. Because only in his scriptures can we open it and get to grasp how God has spoken to, to us. We cannot turn to any other, any other place apart from the scriptures to know what God has spoken to us. And for the first text, I want us just to turn to Acts 17, 22-24. In this text, Paul is in Athens. He has preached in, in, in the Salonica, he's preached in Berea, then he's chased by the Jews. He lands at Athens, and Athens, and Athens was a city that was full of idols. And there he meets Stoics and philosophers who loved to, to engage in intellectual discussions with regards to what is the new vibe in town. And Paul comes in with this whole idea that there's a Jesus who died and he, is, he comes from God who is eternal and a, and a God who created the heavens and the earth. And therefore, Paul makes a case about this God because he goes to that city and sees there is an altar set apart with the inscription to the unknown God. And therefore, Paul takes upon himself to explain this particular God to these guys. This is what he says. He says in verses 24, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and and heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by hands, and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all life, gives all men life and breath and everything else. Verses 26 says, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. And verses 28 says, For in him we live and move and, ha- and have our being, as some of your own poets have said. We are his offsprings. And that is the word of the Lord. So Paul basically starts by saying that this is the God who has made the world and everything in it. He goes ahead to claim that God owns everything. Psalms 24, one would say that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And in this particular portion, Paul acknowledges that out of God, none of us exists. 
out of God, creation ceases to exist. In fact, by this statement that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, it points us to the creation order that God has orchestrated, that the creation order depends on him and him alone. And secondly, he has designed that no creature, whether visible or invisible, would have any self-sustaining mechanism, all these to display our utter dependency on God. If you go to Genesis 1, what happens? God creates the heavens and the earth, right? Look at the order of creation. He starts by creating um, light and darkness, but not for a moment do we see him missing any intellectual um, design with regards to his, his creation. We don't see him creating fish before the sea. Neither do we see him creating herbivores before the plants. Neither do we see him creating man before land and all these plants. God in his intelligent design has set that everything should be orchestrated by his design plan to depend upon him. And therefore this points us to the independence of God because God in himself, he does not need any of us or anything to be God. Secondly, Paul acknowledges that this God does not live in temples built by hands. And then he says he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Why do we build houses? We build houses so that we can actually find shelter, right? So that when it rains, we would actually be uh, in, in, in some good shelter. If this scorching sun comes, you would want to look for some level of shelter. But this God, as compared to the, the Stoics who had gods who had to be in shelters, who had to be covered from the rains or probably covered from any, any, any form of uh, external weather patterns, our God does not need a temple. And this is what Solomon says after building a temple. He says this in Kings chapter 8. He says, But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built? Then 28 he says, Give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. Lord my God, hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence today. And then verses 29 he says, May your eyes be opened towards this temple night and day. This place of which you said, my name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayers your servants pray towards this place. God cannot be limited in any spatial space. He is, the heavens cannot contain him, neither the earth. And that is the God that we serve. On top of that, Paul says that this God is not served by human hands. And this points us to this whole idea the whole language of need is not a language of the creator. The whole language of need or necessity is a language of creatures. We need to sleep, right? We need to eat. We need to be taken care of. We need jobs. We are needful beings, yet God does not need anything. When God was responding to Job after, after his after, after the many questions that Job had, in Job 41.11, he said, Who has a claim against me that I should pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. In Romans 11.34, this is what the scripture says, Who has ever given to the Lord that God should repay them? To rephrase these questions to our level would be, Nani akona denia God? No one owes, no one, God does not come and say, you know what? 
you, you, that God, God has not said that we owe him anything. You can't tell God, I owe you something. And later on, as we see in Psalms 50, from verses um, 7 to 12, and Psalms 50 is a text whereby we see God really speaking his mind to his people with regards to sacrifices and the attitude of their hearts. He says, verses 9, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the fields are mine. Verses 12 says, If I were hungry, I will not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. That text basically shows us that we are out of league with God. That if in the event, perchance God were to be hungry, he wouldn't run to you and tell you by the way, Nikona Ubao. No. Why, why he wouldn't say that is because of this fundamental fact. Even if he were to be hungry, we would not even understand the extent of that hunger. And if he were hungry, we would not have the capacity to satisfy that hunger. In other words, God does not need you or does not need us. Then verses 26 says, from one man he made from one man he made the every nations of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. And this basically points us to because God is independent, because God does not need anyone to do anything, it points us to his sovereign will and his other attribute called sovereignty, which points us to because he's independent, he's able to do whatever he pleases. Shailene, who is a great rapper, if you want to listen to some really good hip-hop, if hip-hop is your thing, there's a guy called Shailene, he's written lyrical theology, a whole album called Attributes of God. Once you listen to it, thank me later, we can meet up even you may attend and discuss the songs. He says, our God is in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases. Because God is independent, he does not need your counsel, neither would we come or perchance give him wisdom on anything. He acts the way he does because he is independent. But again, probably you might ask and wonder, if God is independent, then are we meaningless? Probably you might wonder, was it because God was lonely? Yeah? Or probably he was bored and therefore he, ought, he, he thought of, you know what, I think I can make human beings so that we can have some little party. Um, or probably compliment um, our relationship with him. My answer to this question would be not at all. Because God, in his independence, chose us to find significance in him. For illustration purposes, I have this 1,000 notes right here. Right? If you are to ask yourself of this amount of money, does this paper money have any intrinsic value? It doesn't have. The only difference between this paper and this paper is one thing. This paper has been given some meaning by legal tender by the government of Kenya. If you are a few years, a few years back, there was the old note, right? Some of you probably experienced losses because you had some money rolled up somewhere. And Gafla bin Vu, they decided that, that note does not make sense. It will not be used as money. This note will be used as money. Now, who gives this money value? It is the tender that the government has done what? Has given it. And probably in the same way, in the same way, God in his independence, though he did not need us, he has come and determined that you as a human being 
that first of all you are created in the likeness and the image of God in creation. And secondly, in redemption, he's gone ahead to determine that he would restore you back to a perfect relationship with him after we threw our hands through Adam and said, you know what, we can be independent in our own selves and he has bought us at a price of his son that you can be called his own. And therefore the question is, are we then more meaningful to him because we can offer anything to him or are we even more meaningful to him because we gain genuine significance on account that in his independence he has chosen you. Now find comforts and, and, and find strength and find encouragement to know that you are meaningful to God not because you can lend anything to him but he has determined to do what? To choose you. Again, Paul says this, that at the end of all this, after all is said and done, God created all these things and does all these things for this one reason. Verses 27, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him. And then he says, though he is not far from each one of us, though God is transcendent, though he is lifted high up, he is with us in this particular space. And then he says, for in him we live, we move, and have our being. Apart from God, you do not live. Apart from God, you do not move. Apart from God, you do not have your being. And therefore, how then can we apply this in our lives? The first thing, how best you can apply this is this. The independence of God should remind you of your need to depend on him. At the heart of Genesis 3, the sin of Adam and Eve, at the very, very heart of it, is a desire to be like God. A desire to be independent, a desire to be our own bosses, a desire to, to call our shots, a desire to feel like we want some level of freedom. But at the heart of what of Adam and Eve desiring freedom is their desire to be autonomous in their own ways. And therefore for you as a Christian, I would want to remind you that even as the prosperity continues and even as God continues to prosper you and as technological advancement continues, to the greater extent that we feel that we can actually find any human possible solutions in our own ways, be reminded that you are nothing without God. And that should point you to your greatest need, that you need to be dependent on God. Your desire to be the captain of your own um, destiny, your desire to find solutions apart from God, Run away from that idea. Know that God is independent and you are a creature and he is a creator. And he says the very end of, of time is that we should actually fear God and shun from evil because God is our creator. The second thing that I would want you, want you to think about, this, the independence of God should remind you that you should put your trust in him. Because God is independent, it does not require a half-hearted commitment or a half-hearted trust. God demands your full trust. Proverbs 3.5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. When you think about the place of trust, there's a way you can trust something half-heartedly, right? There's a way you can actually trust something and say, you know, I am not sure but to Jaribu too. But with regards to God's independence, think with me here, we are supposed to offer ourselves 
to him and to trust him wholly. A story is told of a man who was caught up in, in Iceland, for example, where there was winter and there was this huge boulder of ice that was frozen and he was new in that particular place and like the many clips you guys have seen of people walking on clear glass on high, high, high buildings, um, there was that fear of this grass could actually do what? Could crack and I would find myself dousing deep into the water. Uh, but again, as he was crawling in fear, some other guy just came, came from behind with 12, probably a pack of 12 wolves with a sledge hitting the wolves hard and cruising on that ice. And this guy was crawling, wondered, oh my God, what is this? And he wondered, why would you do that? And the only difference between these two people was one thing. One was a native, the other one was a new person. The new person saw the, the, the ice and felt, this, I'm not sure whether this ice could actually hold me. The second person had full information that the thickness of that ice is able to manage not only the, the sledge, but also the pack of wolves running through it. My hope for you is that as you get to know more about God, that you would run away from the idea of walking with God like you're walking on eggshells as if he will fail you. God is independent. We are dependent. And therefore, as you trust him, you will fall flat-footed on him, or rather you would belly flop on God, knowing that he will not fail you, knowing that he is not dependent on anyone else, but dependent upon himself. And on top of that, you will walk with him confidently, knowing that he is your God. Think with me here. If God were to depend on someone, or if God were to consult someone in order to answer your prayers. Just think with me if God were to come and say, you know, I want to consult your two, your boss, consult your sister who you have wrangles with, and probably consult some other person who is envious about where you're going, so that he can answer your prayers. Would he be a trustworthy God? Absolutely not. God desires our absolute trust in that particular level. The other thing also is an application with, with regards to our service. Paul says that God is not served by human hands. It's likely that sometimes when you do something to God, you feel like, God, you should acknowledge how I have made you. Yeah, You've woken up and you've read the Bible and you feel, hey, bro, God, acknowledge. Like, See how much I am doing these things for you. And probably you give and you feel like you're doing God a favor. Run away from the idea that you can ever give anything to God to help him. Your giving is a response to what he has given you. In actual sense, we never give to God. God gives, we receive, and we never really give. Because if you were to give anything, we're actually giving out of an abundance of what he has actually done what? He has given us. Therefore, know that you cannot do all things by the strength you get. Philippians 4.13 will remind you that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Rest upon that. Secondly, I want us just to continue with um, the second attribute. And the second attribute is on the immutability of God. Here we say that God is, we call it the unchangelessness of God. And here by definition, this is what we define it. We define it as it is the perfection that God does not change. He is unchanging in his being. He is unchanging in his perfection. And he is unchanging in his purposes and his promises. Here we say that God does not change. He is unchanging in his being, his perfection, his purposes, 
and his promises. Here we basically say that God cannot change in his attributes. He is unwavering in his commitments because his commitments are an extension of his moral nature. Again, let's start from the known to the unknown, right? We change, right? The things that probably you had set out to plan or probably the things that you love, they morph and change. Probably for the ladies here, there is a kashifon dress you bought as the year began. And right now you look at it and you're like, how in the world did I conclude buying this? And before long you've even given it out and you'll still buy another one and still give it out. Our taste and preferences do what? Change. Coming just back home, it's likely that you ever said, Mimi, I can never do this. Mimi nijikute. And you actually say that this is not my character. I will never, never, ever do this. As soon as you say that, Everything seems to conspire to ensure you, to remind you that you can actually do that very, very thing. And there is a cascading series of evidences that that's who you've actually become. Now, I basically say that God does not change. And here I want to look at it in two ways. That God does not change, first of all, in his being and his attributes. And here we just turn to Malachi 3.6 and see what um, the word of God says. God makes a statement about himself. He says, I am the Lord. I do not change. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. God makes it pretty much clear that he does not change. It is his word. It is his bond. Our words sometimes fail us, right? We say some things and then we realize that's not the word that you wanted to, to use. And therefore, you sit down and ask yourself, what is the right word that I should use? That I should use? When God says, I, the Lord, I do not change, He's not just giving us a presupposition that is not true. He's actually saying that there is no way that God can actually change. Again, in Psalms 102, verses 25 to 27, this is what the psalmist says in view of his lament. He starts by saying, Hear my prayer, Lord, let my cry for help come to you. He's lamenting about the current circumstances he's facing in Psalms 102. And I encourage you just to go and read uh, the whole psalm. It would be very comforting and encouraging to you in view of this attribute. In view of all this and his circumstances, this is what he has to say about God. He says, verses 25 and 27, Of old you have laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you endure. They will wear out like a garment. And he says, you change them like raiment, and they pass away, but you are the same, and your ears have no end. From God's economy in his being, God does not change. God does not grow old. He does not gain new powers. He does not age or change. He does remain the same. In the same vein, James says something quite interesting. In James 1.17, he says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Think about what happens to shadows. Shadows move because the sun moves from the east to the West, um, the shadow is longest when this is where you have to you have to rest, return your 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 eight four four fees to me. The, the sun is the, the shadow is longest in the mornings and in the in the evenings, and it's shortest at noon. Thank you. You can thank me anyway. <laughs> but on a light note, shadows change as the object of light moves, right? The other second variable that causes shadows to change is when the object moves. 
So if you are, whether you are, wherever you are, if you move, the shadows actually does what? Follows you. This imagery leads us to actually understand that God does not shift. He does not change in any of his attributes. He does not change for the better. For if you are to change for the better, it would mean that he's actually improving. And he does not change for the worse. For if he were to change for the worse, it would mean that he's actually diminishing. God is perfect. And therefore, in that view, we can't sing, Yesu nipende, leo kuliko, jana. Why? Because God's love does not change. It does not vary. It stays as constant the way he loved us in Old Testament in the same way he loves us in the New Testament. God does not change. He is always the same. Our God does not have mood swings. He does not cool off in any of his um, affections. He does not wake up on the left leg or the bad leg because again, he does not wake up because he neither sleeps nor slumbers. And therefore, he does not vary in any of his attributes. This is what Hebrews has to say about Christ. He says in Hebrews 13.8 that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because he is constant, then he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he intercedes for them. The second view we want to look at with regards to the immutability of God is this, that God does not change in his plan, his promises, and counsel. Um, in the book of Proverbs 19.21, he says that many are the plans of a man, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevail. I know some of us had really good dreams and you set out good resolutions. The question is, how are you doing so far? If you wanted to join the gym, you have two months to, actually one and a half months to try and get that. It's likely that the plans that we set out, we fail to execute them, right? We can sit and you can have that grand, great, and even you buy a new Diary for guys who are planning for 2023, you probably have a diary and you've wrote, you've written, sorry, all those things that you want to do. But God does not change in his plans. Again, with regards to the many plans that nations have, David says in Psalms 33 10 to 11, he says, The Lord foils the plans of the nations, he thwarts the purposes of the people. Basically, he frustrates and he restrains those plans. But this is what David says, But the plans of the Lord stand forever. The purposes of his heart through all generation. God has his own absolute plan. He does not have a plan B or C, a contingency plan, a, a, an emergency protocol, Pentagon 9 kind of plan that is like, wow, 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 sema kimeumana, kimeumana. Then he goes and brings all that plan and says, let's put it on the table with regards to his plans. God is unwavering with regards to his plans. He executes his plan with meticulous attention. With regards to his promises, it says in Numbers 23:19, God said that God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? God goes, God goes ahead to compare himself with us. Again, he basically tells us, I am not man, basically I'm not a creature, I do not lie. I do not lie. He basically says that we as men, we promise, right? For the, for the guys, you've actually been saying, hey, sometimes to Taunana, the year is coming to an end, we will meet, bro. We need to have coffee, right? We will meet. And it's been, since January, it's been, we will meet, bro. Tutakutana, we need to have coffee. We promise, but we don't keep our promises. For some of you, you actually told someone, you know what, you don't call me, I will 
call you. And that was the end of that story. We, we promise and absolutely under-deliver. God does not do the same. God keeps his word to the latter. He cannot be coerced or manipulated by any selfish prayer. His plans are perfect. Again, we, we, we just want to look at, let's look at a promise that God gave to Abraham in Hebrews 6.13 and see how God keeps his word. This is what Hebrews 6.13 says, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, notice he says there's no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Then 16, again, it goes ahead to juxtapose what God does and versus what we do. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with, a, with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. In this particular space, God made a promise to Abraham and he followed through that promise, regardless of the current circumstances that Abraham had. God does keep his word. And his word and his promises are yes and amen. They're not yes and nay. They are yes and amen because he will actually perform it. The other thing is that God is also, he does not change also in his word. And sometimes when you think about God's word, you don't look at it as, as eternal and it not being unchanging. But here prophet Isaiah says this, in, prophet, in Isaiah 48, he says this, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Again, he says this in Isaiah 55:10, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word is unchanging. And this has far-reaching implications in our Christian work. In a world of relativity, in a world of assimilating all manner of teachings in our world, and in a, in a manner of us trying to relegate the Bible to the tertiary chair in our lives, be reminded that God's word is still relevant on all matters. The same, same scriptures that have transcended time and history, because the author is God, this very, very word of God is eternal. It will not change. And God's standards of sin, God's standards of salvation, God's standards on matters pertaining to gender and marriage remain the same. If you ask yourself then, will the word of God be relevant in 2020? 2080, sorry. Or probably 2100, if God keeps us to that, to that time. God's word will remain relevant. Not because of the changing times, because God's word flows from an unchanging God who has, speak, who has spoken authoritatively on all things pertaining to life and godliness. Psalms 119.89, this is what David says, that all your commands are true, your word is eternal, it stands firm 
in the heavens. And this is our God in this way. That he does not change in his being. He does not change in his promises. And he does not change in his purposes. And his counsel. But now the, probably the question that might baffle you is this. Does God change his mind? Does God change his mind? There are a couple of texts that we see in scripture. Um, case in point, we see in First Samuel 15, whereby God, the Bible says that God repented for having Saul as, as king. There are other texts in the, in the book of Jonah that remind us or probably show us that God in one way repented. But how are we to look at it from a place that God can actually change his mind? We change our minds because of specific reasons. Think with me here. Think of a Manchester United versus Arsenal derby happening this afternoon, for example, or for instance. Um, Arsenal seems to be having a better, a better dealing. They're probably it's 2-0 and my new guys have to sit down and think through and find a way of mitigating um, this forward progressive um, struggle of these Arsenal guys seemingly looking like they are going to win the EAPL this time and having a lot of gratitude to God uh, in view of their success. During the, during the 15 minutes halftime, what happens? They go and they have to re-strategize. They have to remove someone like Harry Maguire, for example, and probably bring another person. Yeah, They have probably pretty much to try and come up with different ways of mitigating their defenses so that they can actually advance forward. They do this because they lack the foresight to anticipate everything. And they do this because, by so doing, because they don't have the power to arrive at the possible end, they have to try and change their strategies. But this is not true of God. God anticipates everything because he is all-knowing. And not only does he anticipate everything, but also he is always, that in view of his, all the knowledge that he has, he apportions his knowledge to achieve the purposes of his will. And also, he has the foresight to execute each and every plan because he is omnipotent. Therefore, God does not and cannot change his mind. This would actually mean that if you were to change his mind, it would mean that he has come about some new information that would cause him to have another different view of what he has to do, which also means that probably he has come about that information and therefore he is definitely not independent therefore he has dependent on that he has depended on that new information to change his mind we are to view these texts as a way of god being consistent in his own way in the case of jonah what happens is that, is that the city of nineveh had committed sin and god had promised them to actually have um, had actually promised to punish them in view of their sin jonah was sent but jonah's issue jonah's beef with god was if i go I know what you will do. I know what you will do. You will not punish those guys. You would actually do what? Forgive them. But again, God acts consistently with his nature because in his word he has said that if men were to repent of their sins, he will relent his wrath. So it would be, it would be unfair or it would be un, it, God will not be immutable by him acting inconsistent to his character, by going ahead and punishing people who have actually come back to repent to him. And therefore we are to view these scriptures as that God actually had sorrow over these people other than he actually changed his mind because he acted consistently with his character. If the city of Nineveh did not or probably could not have repented of their sins, 
then God could not have relented his, his wrath. And therefore, God does not change his mind. Therefore, how then should we apply all this in view of our lives? How then should we apply the immutability of God in our lives? First of all, rest in God. Rest in God when times and seasons change. Rest in God when your plan falls flat-footed and it crashes and crumbles. Rest in God when that business idea that doesn't pick up or probably has not picked up to this very, very end that God has a plan and a sovereign plan for you. Rest in God that when your heart is broken by people who you trusted or depended upon, people who you thought could not have changed, they changed, they undercutted you, and therefore they betrayed you, and your heart is left broken and crushed, turn to him and find comfort that God is unchanging and that he is consistent with his character. The second thing is Trust in the unfainting, unfailing, unvarying God. Trust in Him. In times when circumstances change, in times when frustra- frustrations kick in. But also the second thing I would want us to do is that we are supposed to rest in His word and His promise. Because His word is sure, we are to view His word and His promises as a safe and sure anchorage amid the storms of life. We are to run away from the temptation that God's word will ever be relevant to us. We are to run away from the thought that we can doubt God's promises because God will keep his end of the bargain. We are the ones to trust him. Does God promise that he will save you if you put your trust in his son? Yes. Does he promise to forgive you when you confess your sins to him? Yes. Does he promise that he, by his divine power he has given you all things that pertains to life and godliness? Yes. Does he promise that he will dis- discipline you for your good that you might share in his holiness? Yes, therefore trust his promises. And the question here is, do you know the promises of God that he has laid in store for you in his word? Turn to his word and find these unchanging riches and treasures in his word. The, second, the third thing is that this should definitely affect your worship. We do celebrate many people who do great accolades in our world. We raise and we clap our hands when runners run the races and they bring glory to, to, to our nation. May we be found faithful in ascribing the glory due to God because the unchanging uh, and, and independent God has chosen us to actually glorify him. And may we find delight to turn to him and to give him the praise due to his name. Because only, and only in him and him alone do we find genuine significance. And finally, do not trust in man. Do not trust in man. Because Isaiah 2.22 would say, Stop trusting in man in whose nostrils is only but breath. Trust in God who is independent, who is unchanging, who is unwavering in his commitment to his people, who is unwavering um, and unfailing with regards to what he has promised you in his word. And as we continue with this week, my prayer for you is that you would trust and rest in an independent and unchanging God who is fully dependable at all times. And that as, just, as, I, as I wrap up, I would like us to read a doxology from the book of Romans 11, from verses 34. It says, Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him 
and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you.